Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today we have Raylene. She's a podcaster, stand-up comedian, mom, wife, and Grammy. She's a bona fide rebel who's made it her life's mission to educate people on sex. I interviewed her at the beginning of my podcast journey, so get ready for a vintage Better Call Daddy episode. Raylene, welcome. Can I call you Ray Ray? Are we friends yet? All my friends call me Ray Ray. (laughs) How did that come about? I had never had a nickname and it was actually in my house. It was not allowed to have a nickname. My mom said I named you Raylene and you will be called Raylene. And uh, then one of my friends from my direct sale company just started calling me Ray Ray. And then other people started calling me Ray Ray. And then I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. But then I also found out that almost every black comedian that I know was also named Ray Ray. So that's a little weird. I had a dog named Riri. <laughs> what else did you rebel against? I don't know. I had sex too early and dyed my hair a lot. Got married at 18. That's pretty rebellious. <laughs> that is rebellious. My mom got knocked up at 18 with me. Well, I got knocked up at 18 too, but I was married. We did not stay together. And, I don't, and I'm not sorry because the guy I'm married to now for, uh, it'll be 24 years next week has been perfect. Wow. Well, getting married at 18 is a lot different than getting married later. Yeah. When you know who you are and what you're about and you have more confidence and you know how to cook because you just left your parents' house when you're 18. I didn't know how to cook anything. Um, I didn't know how to cook at 25. (laughs) Actually, I've got both of my daughters living at home right now because of COVID. They both came home, one from New York City and one from college, and none of them bitches have cooked me anything yet. And I What's up think, with that? I, 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 and I told him this week, I said, because last week I made dinner every single night, which I rarely do. My husband and I split it. But last week I made all of the dinners. And then this week I said, uh, I'm not doing that again this week. So I'll do Sunday, Monday, and Thursday. Somebody else is going to handle Tuesday and Wednesday. And so it wound up being my husband because the girls were like, we don't know what to make. We didn't go shopping. And I was like, but you're sitting there drinking all my Trulies though, aren't you? <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. Tell me who Ray Ray is. Who is Raylene? Who did you Um, discover that you are? You know, what's funny is there was a point in my life where I realized that Ray Ray was a different person than Raylene. And then I sought to merge them. So Raylene had a lot of issues from childhood and a lot of, you know, people didn't like me growing up because I was weird. And I carried with me this thing where it's like, well, I don't care if you like me. And then also desperately seeking other people's opinions and et cetera. Even my yearbook quote was like me or not, I am who I am. So I always just had this shell around me that was very brittle. And, you know, if you would even look at me the wrong way, I'd be like, what's your problem? I'm perfect. (laughs) And then I started doing comedy and I, you know, did the direct sales thing And I wound up making all of these friends who knew nothing of my history and they liked me for who I was. And one day I just realized that when I'm being Ray Ray, like when I'm on stage, when I'm doing parties, when I'm doing trainings, 
it's different than the person who sits at home and is like, you know, I don't like me, I'm too fat, people are only being nice to you because you can do things for that, you know, like the, that mean, vicious inner bitch that I just kind of went to therapy and silenced her. What did that inner bitch say? She just didn't like me and she didn't want anybody else to like me either. You're fat. You're not that smart. You're not as funny as you think you are. You're never going to be successful. You don't deserve success. You're a horrible human. You know, nasty little bitch. (laughs) How did you, yeah, how did you snuff that out? I think it was the realization that it was leftover. It was leftover from a time in my life that didn't serve me now and wasn't fair. And I also, one of, I had a, a business coach slash friend and she would say, look for the proof. So when somebody is saying you're not funny, your internal voice is saying you're not funny, go back and watch one of your videos and hear the people laugh. If your internal person, and she can tell me I'm fat and that's just true. You just have to, <laughs> I just have to deal with that. But you know, that you're a horrible person. Where's the proof? Can she prove that? Or can you prove that you're not a horrible person? And it's much easier for me to prove that I'm not a horrible person than it is for my inner voice to prove that I am. And so there was a lot of me just having to question. And it still happens, but I'm much faster at the the response. So the call and response. So the call is, you're a horrible person. And the response is, no, I'm not. I'm not. Look at all these things that I do. Look at all these people who love me. These people that I love and respect would not love me back if I was a horrible person. So That's, that's great. Are you able to to use self-deprecating humor. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm known for, which, and it's funny because when people argue back and I'm like, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I I have a friend who hates it, hates it when I talk shit about myself, but you know, we're sitting out by the pool the other day and I sit down on the chair and it's a plastic chair and it makes this loud, like squeak, squawk, like I can't even- Farting noise? It was worse than that. And I, and I said, did you hear the chair just cry when I sat on it? I need to lose some weight. <laughs> she was just like, you need to stop that. I love that your shirt says, I say what everyone else is thinking. That's so appropriate to what we're talking about. Yeah, my aunt got that for me. And she got it in a 2X because she wasn't about to pretend that I'm not as big as I am. <laughs> when I first got it, I'm like, that's not going to fit me. And then it fit me perfectly. And I'm like, God damn it. I um, recently just ordered a t-shirt to support a nonprofit that my friend is crazy about. And I was debating whether to get a medium and a large, but I just had a baby a year ago. So I made sure I asked a few questions before ordering. <laughs> yeah, I have 72,000 2X t-shirts and some of them are too big and some of them are far too small. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with the sizing process? This is bullshit. Right? It's bullshit. And people say, well, that's a junior. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't we stop that nonsense and make one size that's going to be correct? So that if I'm a 16 in this clothing, then I'm a 16 in this one, or I'm a 16 in this one, I should not have to have everything from a 14 to a 20 in my closet. Okay. So I want to hear about stand-up comedy sex ed. Yeah, that is one of the newest things that I've been doing. I've been doing it for about two years. And I started doing direct sales 13 years ago, and it was uh, a sex toy company. And every time I would do a party, people would say, oh my God, you're so funny. You need to do stand-up comedy. And I said, "Uh, no, I tried stand-up comedy when I was 27. It was like, I did it for like three weeks. Very scary. Not for me. No, thank you. I'm a good sit-down comedian. Like, you guys have a couple of drinks, and I can make you laugh for hours. But as soon as you put a microphone in my hand, I freeze up. 
So then I had a business coach that I was working with and she said, what's your favorite part of the party? And I said, my favorite part are, is when people were, are laughing so hard, they're getting migraines, they're peeing their pants, they're you know crying. I love that. And then she said, well, what about the shopping room where you're like getting them the products that are appropriate for them and all of these other things? And I was like, no, that's how I make money. If I could just tell all the jokes and then mic drop and want the fuck out, that would be perfect. <laughs> and she said, well, then you need to go do stand-up comedy. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And she goes, really? And you paid me a shitload of money to be your coach. I'm telling you to go do this. So I said, fine. I scheduled an open mic when it scheduled it. I found out when there was going to be one. And I went and I did it Facebook live. Cause I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to prove to everybody that I do not belong on a stage. <laughs> and, and I got up and I basically took five minutes directly out of my sales pitch. And then if you're good at sales, then you present the problem, then you present the solution. And so I presented all the problems without the selling of the solution. And it was fantastic. And I got off stage and everybody's like, where the hell did you come from? I'm like, I don't know. This is the first time I've ever done this. And they're like, there's no way. And I'm like, no, seriously, this is the first time I've ever got on stage and done stand-up comedy, except for the three weeks when I was 27. And, and they're just like, that's impossible. I'm like, yeah, but I have been doing it in living rooms for nine years. <laughs> That video, by the time I got home, had 1,200 views and like 30 or 40 shares. And then the next, by the end of the week, I had 7,500 views and I got booked on two shows. Amazing. Where so was like, this? This is, well, it started out at the Funny Bone in Hartford. <laughs> so then I kept doing it, but I learned two things. One, I hate open mics. And that's how everybody gets seen. And that's how other people find you. And I hate that because nobody's paying attention. But here I am in these living rooms and I can work out my jokes night after night after night until they're perfect and I can do them without even thinking about them. And, and then I'm selling shit, so I'm making money. And then yeah, the other thing- I want to know about that. So tell me how you've married selling shit and comedy. Well, because comedy doesn't pay. Anybody, if you know anybody who's a comedian, right. unless they're famous, maybe you get 50 bucks, right? But selling sex toys, I would make between 350 and $400 a night. So I was just like- why am I doing this? And then one day I was, I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I'm like, all right, I'll get out of bed and read because I have a rule. If it's more than like a half an hour that I'm tossing and turning, I'm just going to get up. So I grabbed the book, You're a Badass at Making Money that I had purchased and I hadn't read yet. And I sat down in my chair and I opened it and it was like, the book just was like, ah! and before I even got to the first page, the universe just said, why are you not combining the two things that you love into one thing? Why Idea you... sex. Yeah. And I said, well, I had already purchased the domain stand-up comedy sex ad like three years ago and I just parked it, but I didn't know why I bought it. And so then I just said, okay, I'm going to do it. So that night at three in the morning, I messaged one of my friends who has access to a VFW and I said, are, are you available? Is, that, is it open on this night? And can we do it? I'll just give you like a percentage of the ticket sales rather What's than the VFW, the uh, veterans of foreign wars. And they always have a hall that they rent out, but usually they're rented out for $250, but I didn't want to like sink 250 unless I knew like it was going to work out. So she said that she would do it for a percentage of the ticket sales. And I told everybody about it. I made a ticket link and then I went on vacation and then I came home and uh, a couple days later, the event happened. I had 20 people there and they all paid 20 bucks a ticket. It was the first time I had done a co-ed event. 
because the party company that I work for is ladies only. So I was really worried about how men were going to react to the sex toy selling part of it. So I mixed some of the stand-up comedy with basically my sex toy party. And it went over really well. And everybody said, you should do this again. And I said, okay. So like a couple months later, I did it again. And that time I had 90 people come. And of the 90 people, 20 of them were the people who came to the first show. No way. So, yeah, they were just like, this is so good. And they came and they brought friends. And I'm like, this is crazy. So what was different from when you did it for three weeks when you were, what did you say, 27? First of all, I had material. Like when I went up when I was 27 and they're like, yeah, can you do five minutes? And you, you've seen an open mic and people are like, yeah, I'm funny. I can get up and they grab the microphone and they chat for five minutes. And you're like, you're not funny. I did it like three weeks in a row. There was a club and they would do it every week. And it was, it wasn't an open mic. It was paid. And I kept telling the MC, I'm like, I'm funny. I should be a comedian. Everybody says I should be a comedian. And he's like, okay, great. Come back and give me five minutes next week. And I was like, okay. And then I went home. I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I going to talk about? And I went up and it was just okay. You know, it wasn't really comedy. And then the third week, I had, I was downstairs talking to somebody when I heard him call my name and I was like, oh shit. So I was running on the stage and I didn't have time to freak out and I just grabbed the microphone and that night I was funny. And the booker was there and the booker was like, hey, can you come do, you know, comedy at this other place? It was the first time I had seen a dinner comedy, like people were eating and I bombed so incredibly hard that I did not get on stage again until I was 47. <laughs> I do wish I could get mine to be more funny though. It's called Stand Up Comedy Sex Ed Podcast, but it's not as funny as I want to be because I also have to be with somebody else who also has to be a little bit funny. Okay, well, I have something funny to talk about. I saw on Facebook that somebody asked you to fill out a guest form longer than the interview that you would conduct. Can we yeah. talk about that? It was, it, I'm not even kidding. It was five pages long and they wanted every bit of information and we had already had like a, a call <laughs> and so it was like you know I reached out to them initially but then we had the conversation and then they said well okay fill all this out and I'm like no what's left to the imagination yeah exactly well and that's kind of how I felt I'm like I don't want to have every single bit plus if you go to my website or listen to any of my shows or even just Google my name, you'll get most of that. So why am I going to copy it and paste it from everywhere? And it was long form. It wasn't just like one answer or two. They wanted like sentences. I didn't think that it was going to be worth my time. Have there been other people that have asked you to be on their shows and they're like, oh, I should have been on that show? Not really. So far I've been on like anybody who's asked me, but there, there was one where I don't think he knew what he wanted his podcast to be. And so it was like a struggle conversation because it was like, I'm carrying your interview, dude. <laughs> I want to know about the misconceptions of sex ed. For some reason, everybody thinks if you sell sex toys, then you are a perv. Or a perv. Yeah, a dominatrix, you love all kinds of everything. And I think that's one of the things people find refreshing about me is I have an entire five minute bit about how much I hate blowjobs. So you know, people do not expect that from the person who's selling them sex toys. <laughs> yeah, I'm honest. I'm real and I'm honest. There's one product that we currently have in our catalog where there's two of them and they're the exact same product. One of them has a fancier bottle and they charge $9 more for it. So I tell people, 
here's this product and here's this one if you want to pay nine dollars more for the pretty pink bottle like you're not going to find a lot of guile in me i'm not about trying to fool people you know but if i tell you you need a lube and a toy cleaner with your toy i'm not lying <laughs> why do they need that well lube to keep it slippery and a toy cleaner to keep it safe so safety is a new buzzword to th in these days we're in yeah. Yes, If you right? use the word safety and local, you could sell anything. Exactly. This is for when your partner is social distancing from you. <laughs> yeah, so I also am interested in the differences in fantasies between men and women or fetishes or questions yeah. that they have in regards to your products. I hate to say this, but most of the time when I deal with men, they're idiots. I one time went into a bar and I was on my way home from a party and a bunch of my friends were at like a karaoke bar. So like, hey, swing by on the way home from your party. So I did and I go in and my friends are all drunk and shit and they're just like, oh, this is Raylene, she's a sex toy lady, aha, uh -huh. you know, and then the guys, this one guy comes up to me and goes, there aren't any, any C-rings that'll fit around my penis, it's too big. And I said, dude, with enough lube, I could put my wedding ring around your penis, so step away before I prove it. <laughs> that's awesome and I was just so like and then I was like I I have to go I can't even be here with these morons guys who embrace lubrication and toys I'm guessing tend to be better lovers because that means they're concerned with your pleasure and you enjoying things instead of being like I'm in charge me have sex with you <laughs> and that's how I feel about guys that are like that I'm like what are you a caveman Chill, dude. <laughs> have you had guys that have heard your show that call and ask for advice? No, I don't encourage that. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time when I get a guy who calls me, it's because he's a perv trying to get his rocks off, just trying to hear what I'm going to say. And they don't last very long with me. <laughs> I say things like, have you prayed about it? <laughs> But I, I did it. I do occasionally have guy hecklers like at my comedy shows and at my stand-up comedy sex ed. The hecklers are almost universally all men. One of them said in my show, because I, I say how long it takes the average man to orgasm. And he goes, you're not supposed to put your personal information out there. And I said, it's called an average, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm not making this up. What is Get the average? Average guy, 2.8 minutes. So just under three minutes. Now, most guys can hold it longer than that, but if given to their own devices, two to three minutes. Whereas women, to orgasm, me between 15 and 20 minutes. Not always, and certainly not if we're by ourselves. <laughs> what toys can help with that? <laughs> Any of them. <laughs> Simply not having him in the room can help with that. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? It is. Well, it's because we know what we're doing. When did you discover you knew what you were doing? I was four. No. I'm serious. I had my first orgasm at four. I learned how to masturbate at four, and I didn't know what it was. I just knew it helped me sleep. <laughs> I don't think I remember anything from four. I think that's the only thing I remember from four. That, and I got a pen for my birthday, and I was excited about it. That's all I remember. Was the pen part of the orgasm? No, it wasn't. No. I needed therapy for how I had that orgasm, but once I figured oh, no. out how it worked... <laughs> Oh my once God. I, yeah. Once I figured out how that worked, it just helped me fall asleep and it was really cool. And I didn't realize that it had anything to do with sex until much, much later. But yeah. So when people are like, how old were you had your first orgasm? It's like 17, 18, 19, 27, four. 
<laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. That's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. I can be bitter and angry and, and dwell on shit, or I can be like, I have known how to calm myself down much longer than everybody else has. <laughs> wow. What were your relationships like from that? Well, the thing is, if you know how to take care of yourself at such a young age, you're a horrible lover because you know how to do it yourself. So there's, you know, like, I don't even need you here. But don't you think that that can contribute in a good way? Yeah, it could be. But for me, I was the queen of the dry hump because I knew how, I would just like dry hump and then have an orgasm and be like, oh, I don't think we should do this. And I would get up and leave. <laughs> telling you it was i'm not that well that's part of that misconception about how sex toilets are all super sexual beings and i'm just like i'm not i could live without sex i can't live without orgasms but i could live without sex have you ever taken your sex toys with you and have they ever been confiscated in security not confiscated but yes we <laughs> when i say we bring them on travel it's when we go together if it's me i can just rock the boat i don't need any extraneous things but we do, you know, we're like most normal people. If we're going to travel, we're having hotel sex, which means we're bringing the toys. <laughs> we have had our suitcase searched, and they're usually like a little TSA notification right on top of it. One time I was going down to Florida and I was going to do a party while I was down there. So I had brought my demos with me. Actually, I have two stories about this. One of them, he was with me and he went to pull the suitcase off the roundy thing, whatever that is. And he goes, it's, it's vibrating. <laughs> And I said, it's probably the vibrator, right? So I opened it up right in the middle of everybody. And I'm like, yeah, it's the vibrator. And I turned it up and then I re-zipped it. Because it was worth it to see his face turn bright red. Oh my God, um, that's amazing. The other one, I had, I was also going down to do a party. My friend had purchased a kit. So she had everything down there, but I had the bigger toys. Because I have, a, you know, a bigger kit because I've been in longer. So I've invested in different toys so I bring and this was back like six or seven maybe even eight years ago back when they were a lot bigger because the battery pack took up five inches on the bottom of a toy so they looked like they were a massive scary thing but the part going inside of you was still only like four inches and then there was like a five inch battery pack so I had four of them in my carry-on and I go go through I put it down on the little conveyor belt and then I go through and I do the little you know search and I get to the other side and my bag is stopped, right? And I see it going, <laughs> right? And this overweight, balding TSA guy like has his face on the screen looking at it. And then he pops his head up. And so I just waved. I'm like, hey. <laughs> and then he snaps his head back down, pushes the button, and my zoom right off the edge of it. And I just walked away. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing. He probably well, made his whole day. I would love to hear like his side of that story because he was probably looking up thinking I was going to look like Pamela Anderson, not some slightly overweight 45-year-old going on vacation by myself. It would have been awesome toys. if you would have like winked at him. Yeah, so tell me what it's like when you host a sex party because I have never been to one of those. Sex toy party. Sex toy party. Sex party. <laughs> Not a sex party. Well, if it's with me and a lot of my friends, there's entertainment and there is empowerment and there is education. And we talk about everything from shaving, shampoo, body lotions. And then we talk about arousal. 
arousal for you, arousal for your partner. We talk about lubrication, which is in my mind, the most important thing that we talk about. Uh, and then we talk about the toys, all the toys, all the different kinds of toys, what they're for, when to use them and how to use them, which is the part where most people want, like have their mouths open, like, uh, what's that for? Um, I know that even you have a, a lube sponsor. So tell me about your love of lube. Well, it's from the company that I work for. So lubricant is, that is literally the reason that I got started selling sex toys is because at 38, I learned about lubrication for the first time in a meaningful way. And I was a little bit pissed about it. I was like, how do you make it 38 years? And of those having sex approximately 20 of those years, maybe more, and you don't know about lubrication. I'd already been married. I was on my second marriage. Like I said, I was not a squeaky, I'm a little bit promiscuous for a while there. And nobody had ever said, hey, you know, it would make this experience better for us, lubrication. Because spit does not work. Spit is a horrible lubricant. And so when I learned about lubrication, I kind of was like pissed. And I said, well, how in the world do I not know about this? And who else doesn't know about this? And I'm going to go teach everybody about lube. <laughs> so I did. And aren't you surprised that like, a lot of people probably don't know about it. I am always surprised how many people do not understand that lube is, well, for me in the beginning, I thought lube was for whores or uh, under the unlikely impression or untrue impression that your partner is always supposed to arouse you enough that you shouldn't need lube, which is completely untrue because there's hormonal changes in your body that happen throughout the month. So some days you're going to be more lubed and other days you're going to be less lubed where your brain is at the time. I mean, women are multitaskers. So yeah, we're having sex with you, but we're also paying bills and we're wondering whether or not we move the laundry into the dryer and do we have milk for the kids in the morning? And oh yeah, that feels really good. There's also a bazillion medications that affect our body's natural ability to lubricate. And they can also inhibit our sexual response and they can affect our abilities to orgasm. And so when I say these things at parties or during, during my other talk, which we didn't really mention that I have my, my motivational speech called, let's talk about sex. That's the thing that people are most surprised about. And then you've got certain stars who are out there saying, if your guy doesn't, lube, if you don't get lube from your guy, your guy's not doing his job right. And I was like, uh, shut your mouth because my guy's doing just fine, but he cannot control my bodily functions. And if he could control my bodily functions, I'd prefer him control that part where I sneeze and pee. Can you do something about that? <laughs> that's definitely more distracting than needing lubricant every now and then. Yeah, that is having children at its yeah. finest. Right. But that's my, that's my point. Like, I, I don't expect him to control my bodily functions at all. If he could control my bodily functions, I guarantee he would take away whatever makes me fart. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing that drives him the most crazy. Oh my God. Okay. So tell me about this motivational piece. Because I've been doing the direct sales parties for so long, I've spoke to over 10,000 women about sex and I developed not only the stand-up comedy sex ed, but I wanted a, something that I could do that was a little bit more serious because I would like to be a speaker. And as much as my stand-up comedy sex ed show is fun, probably not going to have that at conferences, conventions, things like that. And so I sat down and I want to do a TED talk. And I was like, okay, well, what can I talk about? And I thought, I can talk about all the fucked up ways women do not understand their bodies. And so I sat down one day and I 
I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then one day I just sat down and I did seven full pages, single spaced in two and a half hours of every story that I could think of that women had told me. And then I narrowed it down to the ones that were the most common and a few that were uncommon so that it could be relatable to pretty much anybody who's listens to it. I did that. And I've now given that talk, I think nine times. Amazing. But eight of them have been virtual <laughs> because as soon as I started speaking, which was the second week of March, everything that got shut down. But the feedback has been very, very positive to get women, women literally from that talk are booking virtual parties with me or shopping off of my website. Because as soon as I mentioned how amazing lube is and why we would need it or why we need arousal creams, you know, like for instance, especially women who have gone into menopause for crying out loud, they just think it's all over and it's not. So tell me some more of the common stories that women have told you. A lot of them are about arousal. And it's because a lot of women don't know that their medications are causing decreased sexual side effects that are decreased, specifically antidepressants. But heart and blood pressure medications, birth control pills, antidepressants, allergies don't cause decreased libido, but they do dry you out. Kids start discovering themselves at all different times. Yes. Do you ever give advice to single mothers or mothers who don't really know when to have that conversation, how to have that conversation? It's really easy. Let your kids lead the conversation and teach them the proper body part names. Please, 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 please teach your children their proper body part names. But it is much easier for your kids to tell you something that's going on if you're using the proper body part names because they're not embarrassed. So if you never refer to it as what it is, then they're always like, well, there must be something wrong with it. When it comes to talking to your kids about sex, follow their lead. When they ask you a question, you have to answer it. But before you answer it, ask what they already know or specifically what they want to know. Because otherwise you could be answering a question based on your grown-up sexual knowledge that that child has no idea what you're talking to about. And now their brain has been blown because they're like, daddy puts his penis in a what? Like, don't go there until you can get a better idea <laughs> of what the question they're asking. What about but, when they start like discovering themselves? I mean, that happens in diapers. Yeah. Um, I actually am famous for giving my grandson's penis time. When I take their diapers off, I'm like, you got a couple minutes, <laughs> you're fine. Just don't stare at me while you're doing it because that has happened. <laughs> Let them do it. Move them to a plate. You know, you'd be like. When okay. they're doing it at six and seven though, what do you say? You can do that in your room. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Stimulating themselves is normal. And so the way that we can help them grow up to be sexually healthy and not embarrassed and not afraid to ask us questions is to be like, cool. Can you do that in your room though? You don't see mommy doing that right now. <laughs> you know, you just set the limits that it's okay. They're going to do it. So don't make them feel bad about it. It feels good. Okay. Well, please let everyone know how they can find you, connect with you, ask you questions. Ask me questions. Okay. I have a, in, my Instagram is standup comedy sex ed. My website is standupcomedysexed.com. I also have a page on Facebook called the Stand Up Comedy Sex Ed Podcast. Sorry, my brain just went 
blank for a second there. And then I also have a speaker page. If you want to learn more about my talk, it's Raylene Taskowski speaker. And that's about it. Well, this has been really fun and unscripted. And unscripted. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. This is Rena's interview with Raylene, or for short, Ray Ray. <laughs> and it's a very interesting interview. And yet, uh, there's some good lessons in this. One was she was giving you the idea that to do comedy and she really enjoys it and, and loves making people laugh. And she did a tryout in a, in a dinner club. It didn't go over very well. And it took her 20 years before she had the courage to, to do it again. So certain failures definitely can put a lid on people. Human beings need contact. Human beings need love and affection. And, and there's many forms of how to get it. I found it very interesting that someone that had trouble necessarily performing, had a very loose interview with you, was able to laugh and talk about sensitive issues and very knowledgeably as well. And, and isn't that what life's about also, is that you try to learn from all of your experiences and try to put those experiences where you can make something out of it. She's been able to, with her humor and being able to now to perform not only on stage and overcome that, where she's able to have her own podcast. She's able to talk about sexual relations with not only hands-on experience, but where she's done research and gotten other people's experiences and where she could actually write a book about it and how you can't make a living necessarily just being a comic, just like music is a very hard area to to glorify yourself in making a living some can do it i'm not saying they can but most of us are just starving artists when it comes to singing or acting uh, you better learn how to wait a lot of t uh, tables uh, and be able to do some restaurant work while you're trying out for the show but uh, she's able to put these experiences where she has good humor she has uh, a lot of experience and she's used that as a forefront to be able to sell sex toys. But more than that, she's able to share her experiences and get other people's experiences where they can be more comfortable in having intimate relations is the way I would sum it up. Yeah, I was going to say, she's not waiting tables. She's selling sex toys. <laughs> right. But the point is, is that she, what her understanding is, is that she knows how to pleasure herself and she understands how it all works not only physically, but mentally. She's done a lot of work in not only coming out of her shell on some of the inhibitions that she had, but she's able to share her experiences and do it with humor and laughter, but in a seriousness as well, where she's really trying to help people overcome any stigmas that they might have. A lot of people, depending on what happens to them and, and if they're traumatized with certain things, they want to be able to take that trauma that they've had, share that trauma with others, and maybe others that have gone through similar traumas, and to try to help them. And that's what it's all about, is where we can all help each other overcome certain traumas so that we can lead as normal a life, whatever that means, as we can. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn.
If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 